God said something that's very important, and that is Christianity is different than any other religion. Uh, other founders of religions have died as martyrs, but none have been raised from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus is what separates Christianity from all the world religions, because uh, he has conquered death, never to die again. Lynn used to be an operating room nurse, and she has seen people who have died on the operating table, and they've been brought back to life. But that's not a resurrection, that's a resuscitation. Every one of those people will die again. But Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, (coughs) never to die again. That is a unique miracle. Okay? And I want you to think of that word miracle. Because Christianity in itself is a religion of miracles. We believe in a supernatural God who not only speaks, not only communicates with us, but acts with us in time and space. He doesn't stay up in heaven somewhere and uh, just leaves us on our own uh, and sort of influences things. He breaks into time and space in miraculous ways and heals people, raises people from the dead, does things that are unbelievable. And that's what you need to understand about the resurrection. Now, we are going to cover chapter 24 and that first section, which is verses 1 through 12. Now, let me set this up for you. Jesus is dead. His his body has been hastily removed from the cross and been placed in the tomb. Uh, because the Sabbath is nearing and the Jewish people uh, have to rest on the Sabbath. They have to obey the law, observe the law. And so they cannot be dealing with a dead body. So hastily his body is put in the tomb uh, before the arrival of the Sabbath. And his female followers have prepared somewhere between 3 and 6 in the afternoon on Friday oils and spices to wrap around his body. But that application is going to have to wait until the Sabbath is over. So now the Sabbath comes and goes, and uh, we pick up in verse 24. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, probably just at the breaking of uh, day, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. Now you have to realize what's happened here. These women are totally disappointed. Uh, And so are the apostles. They have devoted three years of their lives to following this man whom they thought was the Messiah, and he ends up dying, proving that he's not the Messiah. Uh, He was a good man, he was a great teacher, a nice rabbi, but he didn't conquer Rome as the Jews thought the Messiah would do. So they are at a state of despair at this point, but they're going to take care of the body because he's a friend. So you need to understand that. These women are not expecting a resurrection. Don't ever conclude that any of the apostles or Jesus' followers, and there were hundreds of them, expected to find anything on this day except a body. They were hunting for a corpse. They weren't hunting for a resurrection. Uh, The thought of a resurrection was not part of their vocabulary at this part. It wasn't part of their mindset. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, because it says they were bringing spices. <laughs> and those spices were to wrap a corpse. They were going to rub those spices on the corpse. Not to embalm it. It wasn't like Egyptian embalming. Because the Jews believed that the body was to go into earth, to the earth very quickly, and it was de- to decompose very quickly. 
The quicker you could get it back into the earth and it, it would decompose, the better. This was to fragrance the body. So the stench would not be so strong. So they're bringing these spices. Now notice it says in verse 24, they and certain other women with them. It wasn't, uh, there is a certain inner core here that we're going to see. And then there is a larger group. Now, there may have been 12 or 15 women that came to the tomb this morning, this particular morning. But they're not expecting uh, to find an empty tomb. What they're really concerned about is how they're going to get into the tomb and to wrap this body in the spices. Because there's going to be a disc. The disc was usually about you know, two, two to three feet wide and round disc, usually about ten feet high, that was rolled in front of the open, hewn out tomb. And usually there was a ditch in front of the opening and that big disc would be rolled in and it would hit and go in and lock in. It weighed several thousand pounds, probably two or three thousand pounds. So how are these women going to move it? That's why I believe there are a lot of women there. And their concern is how are we going to get this? It's not two or three. It's not just like Mary Magdalene and a couple others. I think there's a lot of women. And they're all going to get there and they're going to try to get this thing uh, moved. That's their concern. But it says in verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. What a relief. At least we can get in there and get that body wrapped up and uh, we can get this thing over with. So, this is what they find. If you want to put it in positive terms, what do they find? They find the stole, the stone rolled away. Next, what they do not find. Look at verse 3. Then they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So the body is missing. Ah, resurrection. They never thought that once. You know what they thought happened? The body had been stolen. We know that from the other Gospels. They didn't think that Jesus was raised from the dead. They thought the body was missing. That's what it says, doesn't it? It says they could not find the body of Jesus. The body is missing. Now notice how Jesus is described. They went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Luke calls Jesus in this verse Lord. But remember this. Luke is writing over 30 years after these events happened. Luke knows that Jesus, when Luke writes this, Jesus has already been raised from the dead. He knows that He's the Lord of the universe. And Luke describes Jesus as Lord. But let me tell you, in the women's minds right now, they don't think Jesus is Lord. What do they think He is? They think He's dead. They think He's just a good guy, a religious rabbi. They're a friend, but... Uh, they don't think of him Lord as we do today. Okay, uh, That's Luke letting us know that Jesus is Lord. Does that make sense to you? Now, without me going into a lot of detail, all the other Gospel writers, Matthew, uh, John, a little bit in Mark, give us a whole bunch of events that take place at this site when the women show up early in the morning. Uh, Dr. Jeffress read the Matthew account this morning. There was an earthquake. Uh, there were guards who fell over, scared to death like they were dead men. <laughs> uh, Jesus later on in that chapter appears to, to Mary Magdalene. and She sees him and uh, an angel sits on the tombstone. You know, all those guys. Luke doesn't include any of that. You say, I wonder why not. Why didn't Luke tell the, the bigger story? Because Luke wants you to see this from a different perspective. 
Okay? Each writer writes from a different perspective, and they pick and choose the events they want, they want to include in their narrative. So Luke wants you to realize that the women are not expecting a resurrection. They get there, they don't find a body, and they are perplexed. That would be to say the least. Now look at verse 4. And it happened as they were greatly, there is the word, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, now you know every time you see the word behold, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to go. <gasps> Alright? That's what it means. It means, what? That's what the word behold means. Uh, old King James might say, lo. Anybody in the Bible say lo? Some Bibles? No? Okay, sometimes it'll say lo. Lo. And that's just a shortening of look. Okay. So, when you see that word, you go, okay, lo. They were perplexed, and two men stood by them in shining garments. Now, what a shock. This is uh, because what happened in verse 3, they went in to that. In verse 3, they went into the tomb. They did not find the Bible in verse 4, and it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. They were scratching their heads, wondering what's happened to his body. That two men stood by them in shining garments. So this is a shock. You ever had your head down doing something? Somebody came up behind you and you... Sort of scary, isn't it? Or put it in a better context. Imagine that you're out at the cemetery. Uh, now let's put it right as the sun's coming up. <laughs> and the mist is <laughs> And you're putting flowers and it's Easter morning. And you've gone to your spouse's or your child's or your friend's, best friend's grave, and you've taken flowers there this Easter morning, and you kneeling down, you're putting them and arranging them, and you look up, and suddenly there are two people there. That's a scary thing, isn't it? So you have to realize uh, what's happening. What would go through your mind if that happened? You were doing this, and you looked up. There's two people. What's the first thing that goes through your mind? Good news or bad news? Bad news. All right. Who are these guys? What do they want? How do they get here? You know, all those kinds of questions. Where do they come from? So if you think they were perplexed before, when they didn't find the body, just imagine how they feel when two bodies are standing there right behind them. And it says that these guys had shiny garments on shiny garments. That means Luke's way of simply saying they were angels. He calls them men, but they have shiny garments on. Now, if you look over, I'll show you something very interesting. If you look over at verse 23, this is when uh, Jesus is walking the road to Emmaus with the two guys that are going back home. Uh, they're telling Jesus about the crucifixion and everything and how the women went to the tomb. And look what the two guys on the road to Emmaus say in verse 23. And when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a look, a vision of angels. Do you see that? A vision of angels. So what these women have is a vision. Now that puts things in sort of a different light, doesn't it? They have a vision of an angel. I wonder if there was another group if they would have seen the angels. 
I wonder if you had been standing there. Would you have seen the angels? Or was this something that was just a vision? For example, Paul on the Damascus Road, knocked off of his horse, and Jesus speaks from heaven. Uh, later on, he says, it was a vision of Christ. Was it only Paul that saw Christ? Or was his, did his companions see Christ? Did this, see, Paul here, Jesus says, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? You know, the text says, Paul's friends who were with him heard a roar. They thought there was thunder, but they didn't hear any voices. They thought there was a sun. The sun was awful bright, but they didn't see Jesus. That's a vision. So suddenly, these angels appear somehow in a vision. That's something that we can't quite grasp, but these women understand that they are angels because look at their reaction. Look at verse 5. Then as it were, they were afraid. Notice, first of all, they show fear. And then second of all, they show reverence. Look what they did. They bowed their faces to the earth. And so they realize that this is something supernatural happening, and they're afraid. And they bow their faces to the earth. They show reverence. And they said to them, the angel said to the women, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. He is not here. He is risen. So, from the women's perspective, the body is missing. That's a fact. Call that a fact? From the women's perspective, the body is missing. From the angel's perspective, the body is risen. That's an explanation. Where's the body? The angels say, He is risen. Remember how He spoke to you when He was in Galilee? Saying, The Son of Man must, look at this necessity, divine necessity, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day, rise again. You remember that when he spoke to those things to you in Galilee? Now, when did he speak those things? Let me show you when he spoke those things. Show you something very interesting. Why don't you go back to chapter 9. Show you the first time Jesus told them that he was going to die and be raised from the dead. They should have understood this. But they didn't understand it. They were not grasping it. And when you get to chapter 9... Look at verse 22. He said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So here's Jesus speaking of His death and resurrection. He told them that this was going to happen back in Galilee. So what should they have expected when they got to the tomb? A resurrection. But what did they bring with them? The spices. They're not expecting a resurrection. They're expecting a body. They're not grasping. He says it, they don't grasp it. It's amazing. If you look at verse 44 of that same chapter, chapter 9. Jesus says, Let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. Now look at verse 45. But they did not understand this saying. Look at that. They did not understand this saying. Now what part of that word don't you that sentence don't you understand? Betrayed into the hands of you think they would have understood it? Well, intellectually they did, but guess what? Their theology stand, stood in their way of them understanding it. Many times a false theology 
will get in your way of understanding the truth. It's very interesting. And we all have false theology to some degree. I hate to tell you that. Okay? How do I know? Because many times my false theology has gotten in the way to the truth. And guess what I end up having to do? Put away my false theology. That's the only way you're going to be able to embrace the truth. So verse 45 says, But they did not understand the saying. It was hidden from them, so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about the saying. What do you mean by this? They were afraid to ask him. Just sort of interesting. Look over at chapter 18. Show you another time that he <clears throat> predicted his death. Now look down at verse 31. It's 18:31. And he took the twelve aside and he said to them, "Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished." For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him and the third day he will rise again. So he told them that. Now look at verse 34. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not know the things which were spoken. So, the followers of Jesus never quite grasped this concept of Messiah dying. That was foreign to them. He was supposed to overthrow Rome or his resurrection. Now, it says it was hidden from them. Somehow God, in a sense, closed their ears. We don't know why he did that. But the point is, it's not why they didn't believe. The point is that they didn't believe in a resurrection. They were not grasping that. Does that make sense? So they never quite grasped it. The, the fact that Messiah would die, that was foreign to them. The fact that he would be raised from the dead, that was fantastic. No one's raised from the dead. In fact, I would challenge you to show me one person today that you know that's raised from the dead and has never died again. Can you name one? I'm going to send a list around. A blank piece of paper. Just put all the people that you know. See, it would be too... It's fantastic. It's ridiculous that somebody's going to be raised from the dead. Now, wait, wait a second. The Jews believed at the end of the age there would be a great resurrection. Don't you remember Jesus came to Martha and Mary when Lazarus was dead and he said, why are you crying? He said, why do you mean why we're crying? My brother's dead. And he says, well, you're going to see the glory of God because he's going to be raised. And he said, well, we know he'll be raised at the end of the age. They believed in a great resurrection way in the future, but not in a resurrection now. And Jesus raised him from the dead, but it wasn't the same kind of resurrection Jesus had because Lazarus died again. So Jesus is talking about this and it sounds too fantastic. So when he dies on Friday, they're not expecting a resurrection. So how do you know that? Well, the spices. The spices. They're taking spices to wrap his dead body in. Now let's go back to Luke 24. Still with me? Now, we haven't gotten to the controversial part yet <clears throat> because we have a lot of things we need to talk about here. It's important that we grasp this truth. Okay, now look at verse 8. Verse 8. Luke 24, 8. And they remembered his words. Eureka. <laughs> oh, yeah, now we remember. 
You would have thought that would have been the first thing they would have thought of when there was an empty tomb. No, not until the angels say it. Now they remember. And they, look at that phrase. That phrase sound familiar to you? And they remembered his words. These women, remember these women who walked at a distance last week we talked about? Far behind. They remembered his words. You remember another guy who walked far behind? Who was it? Peter. And then the cock crew. And he remembered his words that you will deny me three times before the cop. They remembered his See, it was, took, took some sort of shock to get Peter to remember the words of Jesus, and it took a little shock to get these women to remember the words of Jesus. And uh, by the way, anytime you get far away from Jesus, there's a solution to your problem. You just remember his words. Anytime you get yourself in a dilemma, you're not thinking clearly, just remember his words. Amen. Start worrying, just remember his words. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So just remember his words. Now look at verse 9. Verse 9. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these women, told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Probably 120 people there in that upper room where they were all staying, and uh, they told them about the morning mist and the spices, and how they didn't know how they'd move the stone. And oh, there it was, and it was moved, and they went in, and it was empty. And suddenly, two men were behind them in sparkling clothes, and they said that Jesus was raised from the dead. And they delivered this to the apostles and to the, all the other followers of Jesus, probably in that upper room. And I want you to realize that the first preachers of the true gospel, that Jesus died and he rose from the dead, were women. Mm-hmm. A group of women were the first gospel preachers. Not the apostles. It was women. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard one for a Crystal College professor to come off and say. <laughs> <laughs> say that again. The women do not bring back proof of Jesus' resurrection. Why is that? Listen carefully. Because the resurrection is a miracle. And there's no proof for miracles. The resurrection is supernatural. You cannot offer proof for supernatural. Okay? They don't bring back proof of the resurrection because there is no proof. You can't prove the supernatural. What they bring back is the angels' words. The angels are speaking on behalf of God. They're bringing back the angels' words. Uh, later on, they're bringing back Jesus' words, in a sense. Okay, uh, That's the gospel's nature. The nature of the gospel is that it is a word which you are called to believe. Either you will believe that word that God sends and mediates through the angels or through Jesus or however, or you won't believe it. Now, 
I said there's no proof for the resurrection. This is very controversial, but I want you to understand I'm 100% right on this. <laughs> so much I would stake my entire life on it. So that's about as convinced as I am. Okay? There's no proof for the resurrection. Now listen carefully. The resurrection happened. The resurrection is real, but there's no evidence. All we have is the angel's word. Okay? Now, you say, well, wait a second. There's an empty tomb. Isn't that proof? No. An empty tomb just proves what? That the tomb is empty. That's all that proves. The body could have what? Been stolen. Uh, could have gone to the wrong tomb. All kinds of explanations. So the empty tomb in itself is not an evidence. You say, well, wait a second. The women saw Jesus in some of the other accounts. Mary actually sees Jesus. There's proof she saw Jesus. Isn't that proof enough? No. There are people who see UFOs. What does that prove? There are people who have hallucinations all the time. That is not proof. See, that's, what you have, that's why I'm saying this. Now let me ask you this. How many people were eyewitnesses to the actual resurrection? Oh, there's none of that. The actual resurrection, there are no witnesses to the actual event of the resurrection. So we say that there's no proof. Now, that doesn't mean it didn't happen, because it, it did happen, I'm staking my life on it. But that's the difference between history. Now listen carefully, I can teach this to my students and you should be able to get this. This is the difference between history and what we call salvation history. In history, history is made up of natural events. John F. Kennedy is assassinated in Dallas, Texas, according to some people. That's, a, that's history. It was a natural event. You know how it happened? Somebody shot him with a bullet. You can be explained naturally, and it can be verified with evidence by anyone who wishes to really look into it. And the only people that don't accept the evidence are kooks. Or some people think that he's still over, he's over 100 years old living somewhere you know, in the Bahamas. Well, I know that's not the case. but See, history is made up of natural events and can be verified by anybody who wishes to look into it. But salvation history is something else. It's history. But salvation history is made up of those unique times when God himself breaks into time and space where we live and does something that is supernatural. He performs a miracle and it can't be explained. It can't be verified. You have a miracle. That's why medical doctors cannot say it's a miracle. Why do they say, why can't you ever say, well, I've done that doctor, just admit it. <coughs> because science can't prove miracles. Isn't that right, doctor? In order to prove something, it has to be repeatable. <laughs> you have to be able to repeat it. <laughs> you have to be able to test it. You can't test a miracle. The resurrection is a miracle. It happened in history. It's real, but it's not evidenced by proof. In fact, proof usually leads to skepticism. So, ah, I just had the proof. Some people say, give me some proof about Jesus, then I'll believe. No, you won't. You'll be as skeptical as you were. 
Because if I give you proof, guess what else you want? You want more proof. <coughs> or somebody else will offer you so-called proof and you'll accept their proof. You see, so it doesn't really do anything. A miracle has to be accepted by faith. And we have to take God's word on it. The angels representing God said, He's not here. He's been raised from the dead. And you have to decide whether you want to accept God's word or you don't want to accept God's word. Does that make sense to you? There are no incontrovertible proofs for the resurrection. There's proof that Abraham Lincoln was shot and John Wilkes Booth did. But there's no proofs for the resurrection because it was a supernatural act. It happened like that in a split second. No one was there to see it. It was a miracle. Okay? It's real. Does that make sense? It's real, but it's not a natural act. It's a supernatural act. Now look at verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene. Couldn't describe some of these women. That's the women out of whom Jesus cast seven demons. Joanna, whose husband was Herod's steward, his household manager. This woman was a follower of Jesus. There was Mary, the mother of James. Probably the mother who said, Jesus, can my one son John sit at your right hand and my other son sit at your left hand? These three. <coughs> and others with them who told these things to the apostles. Now notice three of them are mentioned. This is the inner circle of Jesus' women followers. Just as his apostles, there was an inner circle, which was Peter, James, and John. So there's an inner circle among women, and it is Mary Magdalene, and it is Joanna, and it is Mary, the mother of James. And then the others. And they told the apostles these things. Let me tell you what thing. Well, we went there, all the things. Now look at verse 11. And Peter and John and James said, Oh, he's raised! He's raised! <coughs> no. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. Historical, hysterical chatter. Idle chatter. You've had an hallucination. And they did not believe them. Did you get that? They did not believe them. Does that seem remarkable to you? It shouldn't. Those times you've tried to share the gospel, did people believe you? They think this is nonsense. This is a religion for women, little children. They didn't believe it. But Peter, look at that. But Peter, there's good old Peter. You know what Peter's going to do, don't you? Impulsive Peter, look at what Peter does. But Peter arose and he ran to the tomb. Now we know from other Gospels that John went there too and all that. Got there first, but Peter went in. Stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed marveling to himself. 
at what had happened. <coughs> but not, doesn't say he believed that the resurrection happened. Doesn't say he believed the women. In fact, I know that he didn't believe the women from all the other accounts. He was surprised. With, Whoa, where is that body? He must have stole that body. Wonder what happened to those women when they were here. What else did they say? But it's not that he believes the resurrection happened. He's amazed to find the tomb empty, but he doesn't accept that resurrection at this point. And um, because if he did, guess what he would have done? He would have run back and said to the other ten in the upper room, Hey, they're right! He's raised! He's raised! He doesn't do that. These guys are the biggest doubters in the whole world. It's hard to believe. I know it. I know it. Why is it that the women believe in the resurrection, but the apostles don't believe in the resurrection? It gets down. Peter sees the same empty tomb. It gets down to what you're going to believe. The women believe the words of the angels. And they accepted it by faith. You see, an empty tomb needs interpretation, doesn't it? Oh, let me give you the interpretation. An empty tomb needs explanation. The angels provide the interpretation. He's not here. He is risen. The tomb is empty. And the question is always, whose interpretation will you believe? Well, the angel's interpretation is what? He's risen. Somebody else's interpretation is, they stole his body. And guess what? Whatever the interpretation is, you have to decide which interpretation you're going to believe. And when you accept that interpretation, it doesn't matter which one you accept. You have to accept that interpretation by faith. You have to take their word for it. Christians take God at His word, and we say Jesus is risen from the dead. That's faith. We don't ask for proof. We base our faith on the fact that God said it. And that settles the issue. Now let me just show you one passage, and then we're going to close. Once you go back to the passage that the pastor talked about this morning, Matthew 28. You still with me? Okay, I'm not a heretic. Half a heretic. Okay, look it up. Now watch this. Look at verse 11. Matthew 28, that's the last chapter, and verse 11. And when you get there, you'll notice verses uh, 1 through 10 talk about Mary going and uh, seeing the tomb empty and all those kinds of things. So we don't need to go over that again. But verse 11 says, And while they were going, behold, some of the guard of the city reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. Remember those guards who fell down like dead people. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they decided to have a little Sanhedrin meeting. They gave a large sum of money to those soldiers. Oh, high priest Caiaphas reached into his robe and he pulled out some bride money. And he gave that money to the soldiers. Saying, tell them 
tell the Roman authorities, Pilate and the Roman authorities, his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and uh, we'll cover your back. We'll make, your, make you sure that you're secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. His body was stolen by the disciples. And this saying, Matthew says, is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Forty years later, when Matthew is writing this gospel, the interpretation of the empty tomb is that his disciples stole his body. What's the angel's interpretation? He's raised. An empty tomb needs interpretation. Which one are you going to accept? Whichever one you accept, you have to accept by faith. Whose word will you believe? Now, don't think that the apostles just jumped on the bandwagon and said, oh, yay, he's alive. They didn't. Because we know in that next verse, verse 16, then the eleven went into Galilee, now this was a couple weeks later, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But, look at verse 17, what? Some, what? Doubted. They're still doubting. Weeks later. You say, well, when do they finally believe? <laughs> they finally believe, believe it or not, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and uh, teaches them all the things that Jesus had taught when he was on earth and it all became crystallized. And finally they believed. But they were a stubborn lot. And oftentimes we're a stubborn lot. Because rather than just accepting it at face value, based on God's word, we want proof. And a miracle can never be proved. We just have to accept it by faith. Father, we thank you for this Easter. Help us to realize uh, what a magnificent, unique miracle this was. That our Savior is alive and a new day has dawned. Something new has happened and he is now exalted and he reigns as the king. Whether people realize it or not, he is the one in charge. And he is ruling. And uh, he calls us to believe in him and submit our lives to him. Help us to do that, Lord, this Easter. Give us Easter faith. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.